0: Welcome to the Aspiring New Leader, a weekly podcast that provides creative, innovative, and practical strategies for the new leader, bringing you all that is cutting edge and helping you to think in new and exciting ways. And now your host, Dan Perryman. Welcome to the Aspiring New Leader podcast. I am your host, Dan Perryman. You have joined us for episode eight. Today we're gonna be talking about our biggest mistakes that we've made personally in leadership. So this should be quite the interesting podcast. Jacob, welcome. Happy to be here. Just a little bit about what's happening outside of our window here in the Midwest, it is snowing. It's about 20 degrees outside, something like that. It's it's winter and Christmas
1: time, it's all coming at once.
0: So just a few hours ago, I was at a meeting in Orlando, Florida, and it was 80 degrees. And I flew back to St. Louis, and it was like 20 degrees. You know, I appreciated the uh, pictures of palm trees and
1: sun while uh, I was here freezing.
0: Yeah, it's pretty cold. Every time I leave somewhere warm, I say, I question, why do I live in the Midwest? Right. I think this is the first year I actually meant it.
1: Did you find a timeshare while you were down there?
0: I should have. So Christmas shopping, you got all your shopping done?
1: Um, I need to get some stocking stuff items, but other than that, it's, it's pretty much done. How about you?
0: I just have to go to the ATM and get money. And
1: that's that's the easy way to do that's it. That's it. Gift cards and money. That's the that's the way to, to Christmas shop
0: is just gift cards and money. It makes it easy for you. Yeah, and since I have a daily limit, that's all they get. <laughs> <laughs> and they have to share it. You can get whatever I can draw out for the day. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's let's get uh let's get moving. So today, as we talked about, this is just gonna be a podcast and we're gonna talk about mistakes we've made throughout our careers and what we would have done differently, or would we have done anything differently? Sure, I'll lead it off
1: here with a mistake. My
0: first mistake is, is
1: pretty simple when you look at it. It's not completing my master's degree earlier. Some of you may think, well, you, you still got it done. Looking back, I graduated my undergraduate degree and I took five years before I started my master's program. I could have just went into a mass, part-time master's program and completed it while working. But instead I decided to work as I was pretty tired of going to school and taking classes. So what'd you do for the five years? So in that five years, I worked in um, human resources and actually had several different jobs in human resources. So I was um, progressing up the career ladder, but um, the master's program if I would have gone to school and completed my master's earlier, I would have probably progressed a little bit quicker through the career, and I would have been eligible for jobs and promotions that came up that I was unqualified for because I didn't have that
0: master's degree. Yeah, we always get the question about, should I get a master's degree? I, th- I think in this job market now, it's it's required. Master's has pretty much become entry level now. I think it's pretty impossible to actually get promoted without a MBA these days or a master's degree of some sort. I would agree with that. As you look at
1: jobs that are opening up, the requirements are always an undergraduate degree and a master's degree. So, um, you know, for those students that are in their undergrad right now, don't take the time off. Um, I've gotten a lot of questions about would you take time off before going back to school? Would you have done it differently? You know that's hard to say because the situation I was in is I was so burnt out with school as it was that I really needed that time off to focus. But I think in this day and age, you, you just need to um, get into a fellowship, get your master's degree and and progress as quickly as you can.
0: Okay, so I'm gonna share my first mistake. Buckle in, folks, it's a Bu- <laughs> doozy. <laughs> it is a doozy. I would say that I may have changed my jobs too frequently and accepted jobs that weren't ideal. So, to understand why I say this, I'm not going to take you through every step of my career, but the major milestone. So, I graduated college, at that point had two small children, a daughter and son, went to a fellowship in South Dakota. Then the next several jobs, I knew that I didn't want to stay in the VA, so I took a job in Kentucky, and it was a great job, experience-wise, but it wasn't a location I wanted to stay in, so I, I went into an administrator job into another location in Mississippi that wasn't ideal. Then I went into Alabama for five years. Those locations were a little bit better, but, and then I'm back here in Illinois. And my whole point of saying this is that with little children, we made moves and it's not so bad. And then we had our, our third daughter when we were in Alabama. But when you're making moves and your children are small, it's really not that impactful on them. I mean, they adapt very well, but- the final moves, my oldest daughter was in high school, and we made a move, and that was really, really difficult on her. Having to move into a new high school when you're a sophomore, that was pretty difficult. It was very difficult for her to adapt to this these new surroundings, so I think there's two points to this. In your career, if you want to move up as an executive, you have to move, but you really have to think about how it's going to impact your children and i look back and I, and i probably would not have made the final moves when she was that old but what caused me to make those final moves is that i was in a location that i didn't really want to stay long term and so so if you go back to the beginning i moved my first job to get out of a location into a location that i didn't really want to be in and then it kind of created this spiral effect of I want to get out of this location so you accept locations that you really don't want to be in. I think the two takeaways here are choose your jobs really wisely. Just don't pick a job that sounds great and then you say, well, the location may not be ideal, but I really want to take this job because you get into this spiral of trying to get out of that location. And then as your family continues to grow and your kids get older, I think you have to make really serious decisions about where you're going to live and what that's going to do to their life. So a long way of saying that I think this was probably one of the bigger mistakes that I made of moving too much with, with kids.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great insight for me as a, as a young leader with two small children, um, daughters that are three and then one that'll turn one in January is that you know, moving is stressful on the whole family and it's not just about your career, but it's also about um, your family as you move them and making sure that they're still gonna be happy in the location that you're going to and that you'll be happy in the job that you're going to.
0: And it's not as easy as it sounds because executive jobs, especially when you're in early career, they don't come up that often. So sometimes you have to take a job. My, my only point is just realize that it's more of a family decision than it is a personal decision. It all worked out in the end, but you know sometimes it doesn't. And and I just remember the days it was really stressful on my oldest daughter trying to adapt to this new high school. So uh, that that's the takeaways there. Just be really careful about the decisions you make because they they do have long term impact.
1: Yeah. That um, kind of bridges into a a career decision that I made is um, I was in a position, was up for a promotion and didn't receive that promotion. And I didn't handle that very well Um, instead of just, um, you know, sucking up and and being like, well, maybe I wasn't the best one for for the job. um,
0: I I ended up getting this is a rated E for everyone podcast, Jacob, before you say this next (laughs) word. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it wasn't It wasn't even going to be a word I think you thought of. But um, I was upset and ended up looking for jobs outside of the company because I didn't get that promotion. I was getting too much static and noise from other people around me who were telling me I should have got it. They didn't agree with the reason why I was looked over. And looking back, it was because I didn't have that master's degree. It was because I was young and not ready for that type of leadership role. I ended up leaving the company and taking a role in leadership in another organization. um, Because one of the things I was told was I didn't have leadership experience. So I figured I've, I've got to get that somewhere. Looking back, um, I made a hasty reaction, but in the end it it worked out. I was told I needed leadership experience. So I got that leadership experience. And if I hadn't made that move at this point, I probably would have never completed my master's degree. I probably wouldn't be sitting in the job I am now. So it really lit a fire under me to achieve some things that I was putting off in my life.
0: You know, you bring up a really good point about the other people saying stuff because I've experienced this so many times, not just at work, but in that last physique competition I did. You know, if you don't succeed or, you know, I came in second and I was kind of upset because I didn't get first or you didn't get the job or whatever it is. Sometimes you're, upset about it, but you're not too upset. And then you start talking to your friends and they're like, Oh, you should have got the job. You should have won. You should have then within just a few moments, you're totally upset. You're way more upset than you would have been. Yeah. Your friends are there to support you. So they're going to have your back. (laughs) And I think too, sometimes we look for people that will support our cause. You know, I know after this physique show, I was looking for people that would ap- absolutely agree with me that I should have won. Yeah. And, you know, and then I take time to start thinking about it and I realize the reasons I didn't. But I think that's a, that's kind of just a tip that if something doesn't work out for you, you might want to pursue objective opinions instead of, you know, your closest Facebook friends who are going to support you.
1: Well, you need that person in your life that's going to be like, Hey, hold on. You, you really did screw up. You do need to do this. Um, it's going to be honest with you. It's hard to find that person because friends
0: want to be your friend. They want to be there for you. Right. And then they say they, you shouldn't have won. You're like, well, I'm not talking to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hang right. up on them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, my next mistake, I started a job and within my first week, I had a doctor come in and disagree with me over something that was very petty, actually. It was so petty that you're probably going to think, how could this little situation create this big problem? And it was a disagreement over bumper stickers on an employee's car. Did you just uh, say bumper stickers? uh, Bumper stickers. You're aging yourself now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So an employee had inappropriate bumper stickers on her car and HR informed her that she couldn't park her car on our property because they were inappropriate. And this doctor disagreed and came in very agitated. And this was within my first week. And this little deal turned into this major, major issue. So major that I was in a small hospital that we didn't really say a word to each other for four years over this issue. It followed you for that long. For four years. Wow. And this was a small hospital. We would walk through the hallways. I, you know. I took the higher road. Sometimes I tried to say hi and and he wouldn't, but. uh, I like that. I took the higher road sometimes. Yeah. So I, I guess the lesson here is some little issue or some little conflict can turn into this major issue. And I'm not exaggerating how major of issue this was because it was a small medical staff and us not getting along affected the whole medical staff at times because, It was such a small medical staff. So there's three different approaches I could have taken. I could have taken the first approach, which (laughs) didn't work out too well. I could have just backed down and let him be aggressive. But my fear there was that the previous CEO didn't have a lot of authority uh, because of the way the doctors acted. And I didn't want to lose my authority within the first week. Or I could have just taken some type of middle ground and you know, kind of mitigated the situation right there. But the point here is, you know, I'm looking at these three options years later. At the time, it was just us arguing in my office and like a pretty heated argument over this one little issue. Um, so the takeaway is, sometimes in the heat of the moment, you're going to make bad decisions. But there are ways to, you know, address those issues. I, I think. Probably the best approach would have been, you know, keep my cool during this situation, but that didn't happen. So the best approach probably would have been, you know, a day or two later, go talk to him, say, hey, we got off on the wrong foot. Let's kind of work through this. I'm I'm thinking that would have been the best approach, but you know, the approach I took is four years later, I sat down with him and said, hey, we got off on the wrong foot four years ago. You know, that was our approach. (laughs) That's a,
1: that's a tough situation. Um, like you said, you're a new CEO and in this hospital and you're trying to, um, set a foundation for how, um, the medical staff will treat you. Um, but you're also trying to set a foundation for how you're going to treat the medical staff. So that then probably, like you said, affected your relationships with them. Did it almost, did it get bad enough that, um, you know, other doctors were coming to you on behalf of this doctor?
0: Oh, constantly. Yeah, they came to me, but what they said was they know this doctor. He's never going to admit that he was part of the issue, so I should just go apologize and smooth it over. And as I talk about personalities later, that doesn't really fit into my personality too much. So, yeah, it was just one of those situations where I could have handled it a lot better. But, you know, looking back is always a lot easier. I probably just would have waited a few days and then, then tried to iron it out.
1: Yeah. That, you know, looking back is always a lot easier. And that's something as we go through this, it's, we're hoping that you learn from some of our mistakes. So when you're put in these situations, you don't goof it as badly as we did.
0: Yeah. And the hardest part of this podcast was narrowing it down to 30 to 40 minutes of mistakes <laughs> yeah. because uh, I had a whole list of them. I'm, these These are my, these are my top ones here. So,
1: all right, Jacob, you're up. We're right around the holiday season, and this mistake was made around the holiday season. So um, I terminated a colleague the day before Thanksgiving. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so reflecting back on this, the termination was warranted. Um, there was a long string of documented issues. However, it was the day before Thanksgiving, and the colleague's schedule, work schedule, they were going to be off for the same amount of time I was. So they weren't going to be coming back to work until the same Monday that I was coming back into work. They wouldn't have been able to do anything else egregious over the holiday weekend when nobody was in the organization. So I could have just let the colleague return on Monday, me return on Monday, and then done the termination at that point. So that was a poor decision and timing on my part. I didn't think through it um, as well as I should have in the moment and and made a poor decision that um, I'm sure ruined somebody's holiday.
0: Yeah, and the employee made some comment to you, right? Uh, yeah,
1: the employee did make the comment that um, at the end of it, they told me to have a happy Thanksgiving and a Merry Christmas. And I knew that it was time for me to start – trying to get out of HR and dealing with employee relations issues on a daily basis when the first thought that popped into my head was, I will because I still have a job.
0: <laughs> that's a good time to move out of HR. Yeah, that's pretty
1: terrible of me. I probably I probably needed to talk to somebody about this. It's probably a good therapy for me to air this
0: out. Is that why you're laying on the couch right now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you bring up a good point. Because in my career I've always wondered how HR can do it because I think HR like would be one of the most difficult, miserable jobs that there is. I mean, all day long, you deal with terminating employees, dealing with problems. I, I mean, personally, even 20 years later, I hate that. I hate addressing behavior issues. I mean, it's something we have to do as executives, but you always hear people say, Oh, it gets better. It's just address the problem. It's it gets easier. I still hate it. Twenty years later, I still hate it.
1: You know, I don't know if it gets it gets easier or better. Um, you know how to handle it better. Um, you have You know what to expect from certain colleagues as it as it goes on. I I think the worst part of it is um, as you deal with it day in and day out, um, you kind of become so hardened that you are are just on the the facts of it all and you don't really take time to reflect on how it's going to affect the person or it's going to affect further moments in the organization. You're just singled out into that moment. Um, so you become disconnected and I think that's part of the, the worst thing from it is is you become disconnected and not really have a feeling about it one way
0: or the other. I think you need to find a balance. So especially in HR, when you're dealing with people's lives, you almost have to, be callous in a way, but not be too callous. Because if HR thought about how it's going to impact everybody's life that they terminate or lay off, it would be really hard to find HR people. See, we almost expect you to be calloused in a certain way. But I think you bring up a good point. When you get to a point where where you're like, yeah. Uh, you're jaded? <laughs> too ba- yeah, too bad. Merry Christmas. That's uh, That's probably a time where... A career change might be in order. I, I, yeah. And and thank goodness that career change came. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh that's pretty interesting. Uh my next one is making decisions too quickly. And I I remember when I first became an administrator, and just as a side note, I was always told by CEOs that, you know, when you're a when you're an assistant CEO or when you're a senior executive but not a CEO, that there's there's this difference and they always said that. And I think for those that are aspiring to become CEOs, there's a big difference between being the number two person and the number one person. And I learned that because as the number two person in the previous job, if a decision was really hard, I just turn to the CEO and say, Hey, you're, you have to make this decision. But once you become a CEO, there's really nobody to turn to. You yeah. Know? You, you turn it in. You're the only one standing there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> It's a big difference. I mean, there's a lot of people who want to become CEOs, but but it's definitely a different position. Okay, so making decisions too quickly. So I became an administrator of a small hospital. Immediately this paramedic came into my office and went through this really sad situation about how she's not paid appropriately and you know, the whole world's after her. And I was new to my position. I'm like, and, and you know, I have to say I was kind of taken in by her story. Right, and she was a good storyteller. She was a great. She drew you in. She drew me in, and uh, yeah, she drew me in. I think that's called hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, that's <laughs> my point. That's what I should have titled this, right? So I immediately went to the business office trying to give her a raise, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, like a like a seasoned executive. You threw your cape on, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then then I started getting the real story, and you know, this was this was not what it appeared to be. So um, I was taken in, yeah. So I think the point here is, especially as a new manager, you're gonna start your position. And I'm not saying that people are clever or tricky or manipulative, but I think you have but they are. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you have to be careful because your new employees are gonna take that opportunity to try to get on your good side, possibly manipulate you. Like I mean, this was clearly a manipulation that I kind of fell for. So I think the takeaway is be careful. You don't have to be cynical, but be careful about your decisions. And there's nothing wrong with saying, all right, well, let me get some more information. Let me look into this as opposed to saying, okay, yeah, I'll fix this for you.
1: Yeah. I think that's some good points to make because when you're in a new situation, those, um, Somebody's always going to try to bend your ear because it's a new ear to bend. They've talked to other people and didn't get where they needed, so they're going to or what or where what they felt they needed, so they're going to try to to talk to somebody else to see where they can get to. And and obviously, this woman got to you and and got where you needed, and and you made a hasty decision.
0: Yeah, you look back and you think, I can't believe I fell for that. You know, <laughs> I mean, really, but you know, this is all about learning as a new manager or executive. You're going to make mistakes. Right. Right. I mean, this isn't about avoiding every possible mistake. You're going to try to avoid as many as you can, but you're definitely going to make mistakes. The whole point is learning from them and looking back. And actually, these are kind of funny when I look back at them and think, how in the world did I fall for that? Or I can't believe I went four years with this, not talking to this doctor. This is kind of helpful for me too, in a in a counseling way. Yeah,
1: chicken. and we've been lucky enough that um, we've been allowed to make mistakes. Some places and some people they they make a mistake, and you know that's that's the end. So we're lucky enough that we are uh, had people above us that understood you're going to make mistakes, and and the key is to learn from them.
0: Yeah. So try to make your mistakes small. Yes. Yes. Do make your mistakes small. I, I think of that uh, that. Currency trader. I can't remember what firm he was on Wall Street, but he made like a billion dollar mistake or something. Don't do that. Make make little mistakes. That's yeah,
1: and, and if you make a mistake of, of that size, hopefully you can can fix it somehow.
0: All right, Jacob. More counseling for you. Yeah, What's up? Yeah, next?
1: very therapeutic. So, a hasty decision that I made. Uh, I was a leader in a a new department, so I was taking on some added colleagues um, through a restructuring. And I let my boss at that time influence a decision on how that uh, department should be structured and didn't push back. So as I um, think about this mistake that I made, um, it affected three colleagues. So there was three colleagues that weren't performing well. They wanted them gone. And coming into the role, I just let that leader make the decision and I should have pushed back and gave it 30 to 90 days and said, let me assess the situation. Let me assess the structure of the department and these colleagues skills. And maybe there's somewhere else in the department that they would fit better, that we aren't actually have them um, in the right place for what their skill level or their ability is. And and maybe we can restructure and there's some other people in the department that would benefit moving or swapping roles with these individuals.
0: My next one is not keeping everybody in the loop. And so I have to go through some personality types. And I think this uh, this is kind of interesting. So I asked, A few people on our admin team yesterday, what personality types they were. And I think this highlights my whole point. So my communication style says I communicate in terms of the big idea. I like to explore possibilities, innovative solutions. So kind of the big picture, not a lot around details. And you'll get a kick out of this. It says I like to be sarcastic and poke fun at you. <laughs> yes, it's accurate. That's what it says. <laughs> it's a, it says you like to poke fun at Jacob. It's uh, it, it kind of said that. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, a couple other people on the administrative team communication style. So this says one other person is insightful communicator. As long as the subject inspires them, thoughtful, independent. They like discussing complex concepts logical, analytical. Uh, So they have a somewhat similar communication style, but they're more quiet and they only like to speak about stuff that inspire them. Jacob, yours says that you communicate in a direct and straightforward way and you're more focused on details. You have a great memory for detail and facts, but it also says that you don't tolerate people who don't think the same way as you, (laughs) which is pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's also interesting on the, on the detail part is a lot of times I'll get, um, questions uh, from people that I almost have to interpret for your communication style.
0: Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. Another person, um, is more enthusiastic, collaborative, loves exploring possibilities for people. You know who I'm talking about? I do. I can picture all of these. Uh, They like to be inspired. They're highly empathetic, very optimistic, and they like to motivate others and develop others. And then the last person says she is a hardworking traditionalist. She takes charge. She does not like anybody breaking the rules. (laughs) Rule abiding, systematic, methodical, assumes control, determines what needs to be done, Little patience for deviation or nonconformity. So, my point on sharing all this is this is a few members of our administrative team, and there's other people that have even different personality types. What I've learned and what I still struggle with is in my mind, I communicate the way I communicate. So, I got a big idea, and let's roll. I like change. I communicate it. I throw it out there. And then by the time some of our admin team members have even started thinking about it in the more methodical ways that they think, I've already moved on to another idea. And I can't understand why they're not keeping up. Right. This is why
1: teams are hard. Um, And this is why understanding what personality types complement each other.
0: Yeah. And so I work with this executive coach and Jamie, and we're actually going to be interviewing her soon about Authentic Leadership, and and she does a great job. She always reminds me that I have to slow down because other people can't keep up. And I'm like, well, they should keep up. And no, they shouldn't because that's not the way they think. It's the same way when they come to me. So you always say when you go into a CEO's office that you have like 10 seconds to kind of get your idea across because they don't have the patience to or the personality to listen to all the details, right? Yeah, I've experienced that before. (laughs) I've experienced with my bosses. (laughs) I mean, and if you look at the personality types, CEOs are mostly in the same categories. It's kind of how they think. Accountants are in their personality types. So I think the takeaway here is you can't just look inward and say, well, my personality type is big ideas. I don't like the details. I'm not really that empathetic because the rest of the people on the team have those traits. So when I throw out an idea, especially like an introvert versus an extrovert, introverts need time to really process the information and take a few days. And they're not the personality types that are going to answer right away, but mine is. And so I ask a question and there's silence and I'm thinking, why isn't anybody answering the question? Because some of them need days to process it. Which is why he thinks I'm a buffoon when it comes to <laughs> podcast prep. Yeah, I mean, our personalities are a lot different. And sometimes I'll say something and to somebody and they will actually go to Jacob and kind of get his translation because their personality types are closer, which is interesting. Right. All right, so... I've struggled with that for 20 years
1: and, and people aren't going to change. Their personality is what it is. So you can't expect to say, this is how my personality is. I need everybody to get in line with me. It's, it's not going to work and and you're just going to have more problems down the road. Right?
0: All right. So we have time to share one more each.
1: All right. So mine um, saved the biggest for last on mine. It has to do around projects. So whenever you get handed a project that's already in the middle of um, or somebody else has been taking it on, you want to make sure you ask all the right questions. Otherwise, you're going to run into a situation like this if you don't ask all the right questions. So I was given a project that was um, somebody else was doing. It was already in the middle of it, and um, I was asked to manage it and and what happened was um we almost overspent by around a million dollars and you talked about the um trader that made a billion dollar mistake i didn't make a billion dollar mistake i made a a million dollar mistake so i guess in that perspective it's a little bit better so there were some dollars that we thought could be spent and in turn um those dollars couldn't be spent locally so what ended up happening is we had to back out um some other requests and carry those over to the next year. So that put us behind on some things that we needed to purchase or or, um, buy to further on down the road. But the point of this is when you get an assignment or a task to manage, you wanna make sure you ask all the right questions. You don't wanna just ask questions from the person handing it off to you but you also want to go out and seek input from other people that are involved in the process so you make sure you have the the greater picture before you're making decisions that could then have a potential impact later on
0: years down the road. Yeah, that's a good point because this mistake was seen by a few people. It wasn't...
1: Yeah, no, this one wasn't hidden. <laughs> Anything you could hide. It was seen by, yeah, quite a few people that um, would have a judgment on, on how I could perform.
0: Yeah, I think, but you don't want to become... This micromanager where you don't trust anybody, but I think you make good points about if it's a big project, you have to make sure you do your due diligence. I I think the amount of time you spend analyzing a project and analyzing all the factors probably depends on how big the project is.
1: Yeah, and you will make some mistakes in a bubble that is contained to you, and you can own up to those mistakes yourself and correct them, and you'll make some mistakes that are pretty public to to hire people in the organization. And it's all about how you handle that mistake at that time, how you own up to it, and then how you work to fix it.
0: My last one is, I don't think I networked enough in my career. I did kind of get lucky through networking, and that's how I got several of my jobs. But that just kind of came By pure luck. It wasn't that I had this organized system of networking. I just kind of got lucky. I came across this article titled Networking Your Way to a New Job by Randall Hansen PhD. It was on livecareer.com. And he just goes through the steps to successful career networking. I'm gonna go through them real quick. So first, develop a firm grasp of job search basics. Conduct a self-assessment about are you really qualified for the job? Kind of like what you were talking about, Jacob. Do you have all the pieces in place to actually secure the job? Have a strong resume. Decide how to organize your network and then communicate with your network and then follow up with your network. I think that's the biggest mistake in networking. And I see this on LinkedIn all the time. I'll add somebody to the network and they'll respond by saying, oh, thanks, Dan. Thanks for adding me to your network. By the way, is your hospital ready to have a new housekeeping service? Call me. That drives me crazy. Yeah, I don't even know these people.
1: Right, and and you're immediately asking for something in return as opposed to getting to know each other, um, seeing where you can help each other. It's just an
0: ask. And it's a huge ask. Right. Yeah, and so I think the importance of networking is you you build a network based on personal things and business things. I think you build a network getting to know the person like you said, But it takes years to kind of build a relationship with somebody. And so the takeaway here is start building your network, but build it in a mutually beneficial way that you can actually help the other person. They can help you. And the first thing you do is not say hi and then make some major ask. But I think it takes a long time to build a network. They say, you know, in fundraising, you don't ask for money for three years. And these are the experts you build a network, but it takes years to kind of make it, make it a mature relationship with that person.
1: Yeah, and it's hard to even ask at that point. It's almost that you're building a network on the hopes of that when something does come up, they've got to know you well enough that they think, oh, this is a pretty good fit for this person.
0: Right, right. That's a great point is that if there's a job, you want your network so mature that they will come to you and say, you are the perfect person for this job. I'm not saying don't ask for things in your network. What I'm saying is don't ask for them on day one. So do you feel networking is
1: more difficult um, now with social media than it was
0: previously? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's, I think it's easier to add people like on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter or whatever. But it, it seems almost 85 or 90 percent of the people you add, especially from a business standpoint, want something. Yeah. And,
1: and I think the ad is, um, you know, my generation is they think the network is how many people they can add to their network or the overall number or just as many tentacles that they can get out that touch different people. They really don't take the time to understand that networking is really a personal basis.
0: That's a great point. I was just listening to a podcast about podcasting cuz I'm a podcaster. <laughs> Newsflash. <laughs> and it was and what they were talking about was people with businesses want to get on these podcasts and and what they say their first question is how many subscribers does this podcast have cuz I want to be on these huge podcasts, right? But the response usually is what is your target audience? We talk about new leaders. Our target audience is new leaders. So it doesn't help us if 50,000 people that are not interested in leadership listen to the podcast. We want to direct our podcast to those who can be helped from it or those that can learn something from it. So to your point on networking, getting 10,000 followers on LinkedIn doesn't really help you if they're not in your industry or they're not somehow related to what you're trying to accomplish in your network. Yeah, it's
1: still marketing, and you're still looking for a target audience. You still have a product that you wanna get out there, so you have to have the right people that want that product.
0: Right, okay, so those are all our mistakes that we wanna share with you at this time. <laughs> uh, we, I don't know about you, but we feel a lot better. I feel wonderful. I know, now the snow is like glistening, and I feel, I feel pretty good. It's a
1: beautiful winter day.
0: It is. All right. This concludes our episode today. So Dan, you want to tell the listeners what we have coming up on the next podcast? Yes, I do. We are going to take a little bit different approach with the podcast. We're actually going to start publishing six episodes a month, maybe maybe seven or eight some months, but we will publish an episode on the weekend like we usually do. And then we will have a couple bonus midweek episodes throughout the month. And the reason we're gonna start doing more episodes is because we have a lot of interviews lined up. So this is, this will be pretty cool. I'm excited about these interviews. The next episode is gonna be with Mark Miller. He's gonna be talking about generational echo effects. What that is gonna focus on is how generations interact in the workplace. So how does a baby boomer, a millennial, a Gen Xer, a traditionalist, how do they interact and why do we experience problems in the workplace? I'll be very interesting. Yeah, that'd be cool. So you ask what else is going on? We are very, very excited because our website is being reformatted. We hope it's going to be up in the next couple of weeks. You should start seeing more social media posts. We've been posting what is hopefully helpful articles on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and we're going to have these interviews. So we're pretty excited. And I want to share a milestone. I bet you did not know this, Jacob. 85% of podcasts never make it past episode seven. Wow. So we're Ep- part of the 15% now. We are episode eight. Nice. We have made it. That is, I feel like there should be confetti and balloons falling from the ceiling right now. Just wait. <laughs> All right. So that's our podcast today. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe. If you've enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes. If you've enjoyed this episode and please visit us on our social media sites and until next week, take care and keep learning. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of The Aspiring New Leader. Join us again next week for more innovative ideas, inspiring stories, and interviews. Be sure to check out newtoleadership.com for more resources, show notes, and to give us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Until next week, keep aspiring.